not a good thing to say in that situation. As she's thinking, my mom is telling me, Carter, sit up straight, sit up straight, futilely trying to save her son from the disaster that is about to occur. And then the waitress turns, she looks right at me, and she says, I know, you're eight years old today. <laughs> Keep in mind, some guys are going facial hair at age 13, and I look like I was eight. So uh, in fourth grade, I'm playing on this YMCA basketball team, and I'm loving it. I wasn't any good. I'm nearly certain I scored on other team's hoop at least once. But I was a team encourager, and I would always run, I would always clap towards the crowd as we ran down the court after scoring a bucket. And now 12 or so years later, I still distinctly remember something my coach had told me. He was the grandpa of one of my friends on the team. And I know he didn't mean to, but he broke my heart. I remember he pulled me aside one day, I don't know if it was in practice or in a game, and he said, Carter, pass the ball to Baker and Bryce. Basketball is for tall people. Huh. I thought, I'm not tall. In fact, I'm really short. So basketball must not be for me. I felt isolated in that moment, painfully aware of the fact that I was not tall like all of my friends and therefore did not belong on the basketball court like they did. And then in junior high, I'm playing on this club soccer team with all my buddies. These are guys that I went to school with and church with. And I remember as it seemed like they got all the things that I wanted so badly. Playing time on the team, attention from girls, and all this praise, acclamation, and acceptance that I so desperately desired. And I remember my coach again in junior high just telling me that it would be tough getting playing time with my size. I felt so strongly the fact that I did not belong where it seemed like all of my friends did. I was estranged, isolated, even alienated. Well, our passage this morning speaks of alienation as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians 1, or it'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to read from Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Paul says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body in his sight without blemish, by Christ's physical body, sorry, through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Well, Paul's words in verse 21 are pretty harsh. They're really harsh, in fact. The three words that stick out to me are alienated, enemies, and evil. Those aren't exactly words I would like to be associated with. And the phrase from God that we see isn't actually in the Greek text, but it helps bring out this idea that since the fall, humanity is somehow out of order, out of the fellowship with God and with others for which we were made. And notice Paul uses the term evil. Our culture is by and large pretty unwilling to call anything evil. And then in verse 22 comes the word but. Now, there's a distinction in communication between the terms and and but. For instance, say a coach is giving feedback to his or her team, and they are to say something like, you did a lot of things well today, but there's some things you need to work on. That but negates everything that comes before it, so that what the team did well doesn't really matter. What they hear instead is what they need to work on. If, on the other hand, the coach were to say something like, you did a lot of things well today, and there's some things you need to work on, that allows them to hear what they did well while still recognizing that they've got work to do. So obviously, when giving feedback or critique, it's always a good idea to use the term and instead of but. Here, though, the, the but is good news because Paul is indeed negating everything that comes before it. 
He says, yes, once you were alienated from God and once you were enemies because of all the ways in which you lived contrary to the way God had created life to be lived. But now he's reconciled you. But now you are holy in his sight and without blemish and free from accusation. As Paul says to the Corinthians, in Christ you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. Our fundamental identity now in Christ is no longer sinners. As Paul makes clear in his greeting to the Colossians, it's saints. You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20? It'll be on the screen behind me. Paul says this, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Here we see that God's answer to us of whether or not we belong is a resounding yes. Christ is God with us and God for us. Christ is God in his movement towards us. You know the term mixed signals? God's not giving us mixed signals. He's unambiguously for us. He's unambiguously for you. There is no outsider to the grace of God. So what we draw out of this passage so far is that yes, once we were estranged, isolated from God, but in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, uniting God in humanity. Once we were reconciled, or sorry, once we were alienated, now we've been reconciled. And it's not just humanity that's been reconciled, but the whole of the cosmos. As Paul says just a few verses earlier in 19 to 20, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, there's a lot of people who feel alienated from church today. Alienated from the body of Christ, especially people in my generation. This is from an article released by the Barna Group last spring. Millennials are leaving the church. Nearly six in ten, that's 59% of young people who grow up in Christian churches, end up walking away. And the unchurched segment among millennials has increased in the last decade from 44 to 52% mirroring a larger cultural trend away from church-going in America. When asked what has helped their faith grow, church does not make even the top 10 factors. And this from a May 2015 CNN article titled, Millennials Leaving Church in Droves, Study Finds. Looking at the long view, the generational spans are striking. Whereas 85% of the silent generation, that's people born from 1928 to 45, call themselves Christians, just 56% of today's younger millennials, those born from 90 to 96, that's me, do the same. Even though the vast majority, about 8 in 10, were raised in religious homes. Each successive generation of Americans includes fewer Christians, Pew has found. To put it simply, older generations of Americans are not passing along the Christian faith as effectively as their forebears. Well, what happened when I felt like I did not belong on my sports teams? I quit. It didn't give me a desire to play. In fact, it did the opposite. I thought, I'll just find something else, somewhere else where I actually belong. So is it, is it any wonder why people leave the church if they're told they don't belong? If they feel like there is not a place for them in Christ's body? 
if the first thing they hear is who's in and who's out and they don't match the requirements for the former? Why do you think so many people feel alienated from church today? What would alienate you from church? How about legalism? Judgment? Divisions in congregations or across denominations? You know, there's over 41,000 Christian denominations in the world. There's 242 within the Roman Catholic Church alone. One might argue that perhaps God would communicate better. How about inactivity and social issues? Pastoral scandals or people simply not feeling like there's a place for them? Well, what would it look like for a, new community to be to, for a new community to be the kind of community in which people know that in Christ they belong? To be the kind of community that affirms in people that they have a place at the table, a place in the family of God and the body of Christ. The kind of community in which outsiders are welcome, in which together we tell the truth and we seek the truth and we live in the truth with people different from us, people who don't even seem like they should belong in which we invite others into this journey, this story of faith in Christ, of moving closer to Jesus. What if people heard that we all need the same thing, Jesus, and that we don't know everything, nor do we claim to, but we know Jesus, and we want to seek to walk with him together as we seek the God who seeks us in the heart of this city. Being in relationship with people who don't look, think, or act like us, with people who are different from us, takes time and it's messy. It is not easy. It's not efficient. It's certainly easier to surround ourselves with people just like us, isn't it? To insulate ourselves with people who make us feel comfortable and safe and secure. It's certainly more efficient. But love is not efficient. And the amazing thing about the gospel is it's for everyone. As Paul makes abundantly clear in his letter to the Colossians, when you look at Jesus, you see God. Paul spells out that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily. So if we can look at Jesus and see God, then it's worth asking ourselves, who did Jesus sit with? Who did he eat with? Who did he hang out with? Who did he spend his time with? Well, it was tax collectors and sinners, and prostitutes, lepers, all the people the Pharisees were certain didn't belong. And when he told his followers to give a banquet, did he say to invite all the people who make you feel safe and comfortable and secure, the people who affirm your viewpoints, the people from whom you have something to gain? No, he said, when you throw a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, invite everyone that doesn't even seem like they should be invited. Invite everyone that no one else would invite. Who are we inviting to our banquets? Who's sitting at our tables? Who are we spending our time with, raising our kids with, buying our groceries with, doing life with? If there's room at God's table, is there room at ours? Is there room in our church? I had the, I had the privilege of being in New York City for a month last January with seven of my classmates and our theology professor. It was one of the best trips of my life. I absolutely loved it. Uh, the Every day of the trip had a theme, and we spent all of our time meeting with people who found meaning in life around these various themes and talking with them about it. One of the people we got to meet with was a man named Christopher. He's one of my favorite people I've ever met. Christopher is delightful. He's a vintner, so he makes wine, and we got to spend an afternoon with him at his winery in Brooklyn. That's Christopher. Actually, he's, yeah, he's the one with his hand on the barrel. Um, I feel like we had this innate connection because he uses hand symbols like I do, 
So as soon as I met him, I just thought he was great. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, so when I think of what it means to invite others into faith in Christ, I think of Christopher. From the moment we met him, he was just insanely welcoming. None of us had any clue about making wine, but he was totally patient with us, and he invited us into the entire process. He didn't pretend to know that everything there is to know about making wine, and he spoke in such a way that invited us into learning alongside of him. His passion inspired curiosity in all of us as he walked us through all that goes into making one little bottle of wine. And he spoke with this excitement that made me want to hear more. By the end of our time with him, I thought, man, I want to make wine too. I want to be more like Christopher. What if we had that posture when inviting others into faith in Christ? What if we had that kind of humility, patience, and excitement? Here's the other thing. Christopher's a Christian. When we asked him about how his faith influences the way he makes wine, he gave a pretty brief answer. Because he has that kind of humility where he doesn't like to talk about himself very much, even though everyone wants to listen. But it was his friend and business partner, Colin, who stepped in to tell us how much he sees Christopher's faith influence everything about him, including the way he makes wine. And Christopher is openly an atheist. Sorry, and Colin is openly an atheist. Wow, I thought. Christopher works with this guy who believes totally differently from him, and he doesn't, doesn't force his beliefs on him, but he actually lives in such a way that Colin knows what he believes, and he stepped in to tell us about it. You leak what you love, and Christopher leaks Jesus. He didn't compromise his faith, but he was willing to live and work in really close proximity with a guy who did not share his belief, and who knows the way God may be working through Christopher in Colin's life. Well, you might be thinking, wait, we can't just say everyone belongs. That's universalism. Paul says if, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And he says if what? He says if you continue in your faith. But how are people supposed to have faith if they don't know that first and foremost they belong? That God is actually for them. God has reconciled the world to himself in Jesus Christ, but we can still refuse our side of the relationship. We can say no to God's yes to us in Christ. But what if people heard that before you even recognize or embrace this reality, there's a place at the table for you? What if people heard that there is room for them in the family of God, in the body of Christ? What if we started there with the fact that in Christ, God tells us we belong in relationship with him? And what if we reflected that reality as the church to those who feel alienated? Belonging and being accepted in Christ isn't just saying, yeah, everything's okay. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. It's not moral relativism. No, remember Paul here says the word evil, implying that, yes, there are ways of living that are contrary to the way that God created and designed life to be lived. And at the same time, the invitation to be in Christ is open to everyone. We are reconciled regardless of what we've done or who we are. The truest thing you can say about a human being is that they are one who is loved by God in Christ. The place where we do belong is Christ, who is the truth. And it might sound trite to say that everyone belongs because that's very much the ethos of our culture right now. But we can and we ought to say it in regards to Christ because it's the only place where it's actually true. Like Russ said, flow bros, that's an exclusive, <laughs> that's a bad analogy. There are, there are, there are ways, uh, parts of our culture in which we don't actually belong, but Christ is the one place where everyone does. There is room for everyone in Christ. And God's made that clear. Salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone, but people need to know that God tells them first and foremost they belong. 
And then from there, we can figure out all of what that means for how we live our lives, because Jesus has something to say about that. How might it change or shape or transform people who've been alienated by Christians or by the church if they knew that they belonged? If they knew that there was actually a place for them, that we actually cared for them? Because God does. In verse 23, Paul talks about not being moved from the hope held out for us in the gospel. What are some implications of that hope we have in the gospel? of this reconciliation that God has accomplished for us in Christ. One, it frees us. It frees us from the need to be right all the time. It frees us from pride, from insecurity. It frees us from trying to prove ourselves. It frees us from trying to fix other people. It frees us to fail, to make mistakes. God's grace to us, his yes to us in Christ, frees us to take risks. How we think about God matters, and I believe that a lot of people think that God is mad at them. Or that they've got to shape up in some way or another before they can be, to get their act together, before they can be in relationship with Jesus. I think it's easy to have a conception of God as this sort of bad coach who's just waiting for us to make a mistake so he can criticize us and pull us out of the game. Or as this scary guy who's just holding an axe over our heads waiting for us to make the wrong move. But that is just fundamentally misunderstanding who God is. Did you know that God delights in you? Did you know that scripture tells us we're his masterpiece, his handiwork? People need to hear this. I need to hear this because I forget it. And I think the God that many people reject is not the God revealed in Jesus Christ. God's grace to us in Christ gives us the freedom to take risks, to step out of our comfort zone to a place where failure is a real possibility. Then it allows us to handle our highs and our lows with a greater sense of equilibrium because we know that our fundamental identity is rooted in a gaze of love and delight. So what have we to fear? This passage tells us God is for us. Secondly, the hope we have in the gospel allows us to reconcile with one another. Because we have been reconciled to God in Christ, we can now reconcile with others. And reconciliation takes both repentance and forgiveness. We may be needing to ask for forgiveness from someone in our lives this morning, or or we may be needing to extend forgiveness. Reconciliation involves movement. It is the constant pursuit of that which is disconnected, and it's not based on agreement, but rather on a willingness to enter into spaces of tension. It's about building bridges, not armies. Notice the foundation or the basis for Christopher's relationship with Colin was not an alignment of belief, but rather a willingness to listen to, to learn from, to share life with and engage with another human being as a human being. Moreover, are there parts of our past that need to be reconciled? We walk around with this weight, with these weights we carry that affect us. Are we willing to let Jesus into those painful spots in our past? We carry a lot of pain, and when we are hurt, we tend to hurt people, don't we? But we can take our pain right to the cross. God has been there, and there's someone who actually knows your pain and understands it better than you do. It's not me. It's Jesus. And he says what? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It was only recently that I discovered how much those painful words from my coaches in fourth grade and junior high had hurt me. How long, and how long I had been carrying that pain and operating out of it. 
But if I hold a grudge, if, if I don't forgive those who have wronged me, then I embody the very evil of which I was a victim. For those of you who have been burned by the church or by Christians in some way or another, you may be embodying the very dogmatism, closed-mindedness, and stubbornness against which you stood if you don't extend forgiveness to those who have wronged you. Some of us are on the side of needing to forgive, and others might be on the side of needing to ask for forgiveness. Reconciliation won't happen unless we come together. And that takes both forgiveness and repentance. When Jesus came back to his disciples after he'd risen from the dead, what did he do? Did he write up a list of all the ways they had fallen short, the ways they didn't measure up and condemn them for it? No, he ate with them. He had the fire ready as they came out of their boat, and he said, come and have breakfast. These are the guys who had deserted him in his moments of greatest need, who had let him down. Maybe this week we can reach out to someone we've hurt, or even someone who's hurt us, and share a meal with them. Who knows what might happen. And third, the hope we have in the gospel gives us both humility and confidence, humble confidence. Humility because we know we don't deserve the grace and reconciliation God has for us in Christ, and confidence because we know it's not based on what we do. My buddy Benjamin and I play music together. And a little over a year ago, we played at the Bartlett at the open mic night, and this, one of the singers from a band named Joseph was there. She's phenomenal. She played a few songs, and we got to talk to her afterwards. Then a year went by, uh, Joseph released a new album, started to get pretty big, and they came and played at the Knitting Factory. Benji and I went to the show, and uh, they, it was amazing. They, they did such a great job. We were hoping maybe to get to meet the band afterwards. So we waited in line for shirts and weren't sure if they were going to come out, but they did. They came out. And then Natalie remembered us. The singer whom we had met a year prior remembered us. She knew us. You know how that made us feel? We were on cloud 10. I mean, we could not stop singing and smiling the whole ride home because, I mean, she knew us. We're, she's famous and we're nobody. And she remembered us. Well, that's nothing compared to God to the God of the universe, the God in whom all things are held together, the God revealed in Jesus Christ. He knows you and he knows me. And more than that, he loves us right where we are. And in Christ, he affirms that it is in relationship with him where we truly belong. How does that make us feel? So if you're sitting out there and you're wondering like I did when I was in seventh grade, if you belong, God says here you do. And even if you belong nowhere else, even if everyone else has rejected you, has left you out, God hasn't. God says you belong. And the reason we belong is not because of us. It's not because of anything in me or in you that makes us worth belonging. It's because of Christ that we belong. He came and he died for you and he died for me and then he rose again. And now he's actually alive and at work in this broken, hurting, dying, desperate world. And now we have this hope. And this hope isn't based on your height, your skill set, your place of birth, your jobs, your connections, your family of origin, your good decisions, your bad decisions. It's based on what God has already done in Christ. So do we believe this new community? Do we want to put our hope here or do we want to put it somewhere else? And if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus and you're curious about what it means to follow him, you can start this journey right now. And if you're here and you're incredibly pissed at God, that's okay. God loves you right where you are and he's not mad at you. 
In Christ, God affirms that we belong with him. He says, this is where you belong. This is where your hope is actually found. And even if you've been looking for it elsewhere for a really long time, I'm still here. We belong in relationship with the one who created us, who knows us, who became one of us to suffer and die for us just because he loves us. So friends, be encouraged. You are reconciled. I am reconciled. We are reconciled. The whole cosmos is reconciled. So let us live into the freedom, the reconciliation, the humility and the confidence that comes from the truth that we belong in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you that you've shown us who you are in Christ, that we don't have to wonder about who you are, Lord, because you've shown us. Thank you that you love us desperately, Lord. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we turn away that love, in which we refuse to believe that love. I pray that as a community we would affirm in one another the truth of our belovedness, God, the truth and reality that you love us, that you have reconciled us through your son, Jesus. God, may we spread that message of love and hope um, here on Third and Howard, Lord, in our families, in our jobs, in our schools. Um, Lord, we thank you uh, for your goodness and your grace to us in Christ. May it shape us this day and this week, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.